Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Today, we're going to talk, I'm going to talk to you about identity. Um, and thank you, Pascal, for and the worship team for leading us in worship earlier. Um, you know, identity is largely concerned with the question, who are you? Um, it is also related to the basic values that dictate the choices we make. That's why sometimes people might say that your choices reflect who you are and reflect what you value, right? When someone asks you, who are you, how do you typically respond? Most probably would respond with their name and then maybe with a little bit of information about what they do or what they believe or how they believe they bring the most value to that space. So we're at a place right now where we have to show proof of who we are and what we've done in order to get access to certain places. A couple of weeks ago, our family went out to lunch after church and we couldn't get in for lunch because one of us had a photo of our ID and not the real ID. So our identification can either give us access or deny us access to certain things, especially in our day today. But today, I want to talk to you about our identity in Christ. Now, any fan of the Jason Bourne movie series in here? All right. Okay, good. I'm loving it. All right. So I really like Jason Bourne and his movies. And it's probably one of the very few movies in the um, mystery thriller genre that I actually enjoy. I'm more of a comedy, romance type of girl. So in the very first uh, Jason Bourne movie, it's called Bourne Identity. And we're introduced to Jason Bourne. He's a man with amazing fighting skills, but he has no idea who he is. So the movie starts out with uh, Bourne waking up in the middle of the ocean. His, a ship's captain is removing two slugs from his back and a laser pointer from his hip. And on the laser pointer, there is a Swiss bank account number. Now, I feel... I don't even know the details about a Swiss bank account, but I feel like every time I hear a Swiss bank account, I know bad news is to come. So I'm probably going to have to talk to Bob after, and he can explain to me what happens in Swiss bank accounts. But So Jason himself has no idea of who he is or what he's doing on this boat. And for the entire movie, he traces the clues of who, we are, of who he is and what he's found through a bunch of different cities and different towns. He is all on a quest to learn more about himself. And in the middle of all of this journey, in his first movie, Born Identity, he is also trying to escape from two assassination plots. Check out this clip. In that clip, Jason Bourne learns his name, but he also finds other passports with other names on them. So he knows his name, he's still unsure about his identity. Now we know that this book, the Bible, is instrumental in teaching us about our identity in Christ. There's a beautiful thread of love that's woven out from the Old Testament all through to the New Testament. 
that tells us that we are called, we are pursued, we are chosen, and we are loved by God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 to 12, and I'm going to read it from the message translation. It says this, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs for us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. Part of our identity of as in, a part of our identity in Christ is to hear, understand, grab a hold of, and act as if we are loved, called, chosen, and and uh, sorry, love, called, chosen, and pursued by God. At the heart of what it means to be a Christian is to receive a new identity. In Christ, we do not lose our true selves, but we become our true selves in him. Last week, Pastor Brett spoke to you from 1 Peter chapter 1. He reminded us that even though we're looking ahead to an eternal life, that God is for us now, that sometimes the path to holiness and could be, can feel hard, but we have a helper that helps us grasp the holiness of God. So this message isn't necessarily a continuation of that. You can just look at it as part of the same series. My focus today is 1 Peter chapter 2, and I will be focusing on verses, three, verses 1 to 3 and 9 to 10. Let's start with 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So this is the first point in case you're making notes. Our identity in Christ requires us to get rid of the sin in our lives. As we read this verse, 1 Peter 1.1, it's easy to probably gloss over a three-letter word. Does anyone want to guess what that word is? All. Yeah. Well, I guess not everybody glossed over it. Thank you, Carla, for ruining my flow. But okay, it's easy to gloss over that word all. But it's so important, right? Because we, ha we could think when we read this, we can think, oh, I don't have any malice. I don't have any deceit. I don't have any slander. But that all is really an emphasis. It's a qualifier, so what that means is if you were to look in the dictionary under the word malice, anything and everything, every iteration, every single version of what can fall under there is included under that all malice. And the same thing for all deceit. If you have anything, like that qualifier means any version of anything that can fall under that definition. So this list of things to put away, malice, deceit, slander, hypocrisy, and evil and envy can seem really small and really short, say compared to the Ten Commandments. But really, it is quite a complete list of things that causes us to sin or to miss the mark. The principle here is that when we decide to follow Jesus, we receive a new identity. And we need to get rid of all of the things that don't please God 
on an ongoing basis. Hebrews 12, 1, uh, the second part says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Sin weighs us down. In order to fully step into our new identity as Christians, as Christ followers, we have to be as weightless as possible. You know, some of us probably looked at the Olympics and for the track and field races, those runners wear really tight clothing because they want the least amount of resistance when they're running. They don't want anything to sort of hold them back, any wind to find any pocket to keep them back. And just like that, we have to throw off all of the sin, all of the things that can easily entangle us, get us distracted, and hold us back from the prize. First Peter tells us, First Peter 2 verse 24 tells us, he himself bores our sin in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. I'm really practical, guys. So I'm thinking, if Jesus came to die for my sins, why am I still going to carry them? Why am I still holding on to it? If that's what he came to do, why are we still carrying it? Okay, so we know what we need to move away from. When we're moving away from something, we're moving towards something. So let's look at what we need to pursue. Verses 2 to 3. Like newborn infants long for the, spirit, for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So here's the second point. Our identity in Christ requires us to have an increasing appetite for God. Okay, just a side note. When I was reading Nehemiah earlier, like that verse was on my heart all week. And it did not occur to me that it had anything about food or drink in it. And I'm, I'm reading it up here and I'm like, oh my gosh, everybody who knows me is going to say, Trisha always finds all of the verses that have to do with eating or drinking in the Bible. <laughs> and here we are again. We're talking about appetite, but I'm just going to like go into it, right? It's not planned. It's not intentional. There's just a lot in the Bible. That's great. Anyway, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, I want you to think back to the moment that you said yes to God. And I do need, like, I just want at least three people to, like, give me some feedback here. So that moment you made a decision and you thought following Jesus was going to be a fantastic idea. I want someone to tell me the feeling they had. Like the feeling in that moment, the feeling two weeks later, the feeling a month later. Does anyone want to share what one of those feelings were? Come on, don't let me down. Yeah. Right. Thank you. For all of you on live stream, Eleanor said a load was lifted off her shoulder. It felt like a pressure was lifted off when she accepted Jesus. Right. Good. Thank you for sharing, Eleanor. Her whole outlook immediately changed. Is there anybody else who wants to share what they felt? Yes, Sharon. Sharon, Sharon says she couldn't get enough 
of spending time reading the word and listening. Thank you guys for sharing. For me, my feeling was I felt energized, which is probably the same thing that Sharon and Eleanor said. There was an energy. There was like an excitement. So if you didn't share, and I know there's a ton of you that didn't share, I just want to ask you, do you still have that same level of excitement, of energy, of load being lifted off? Do you still have that same level of whatever you felt back then? Okay, these two verses are a backwards if-then statement. So typically, an if-then statement is conditional. If X, then Y, right? So one typically follows the other. The X, like if, is typically the hypothesis, and the Y is the conclusion. So an example would be, if it snows tomorrow, I'm sorry, they will cancel school, right? The if, <laughs> the if is the hypothesis, the cancellation of school is the conclusion. So this verse, this verse here is, it starts out with a then and ends with an if. So like newborn infants long for the spiritual, pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if you have indeed tasted that the Lord is good. So the hypothesis is that you have experienced the goodness of God. The conclusion is that you will long for pure spiritual milk. So um, humor me for a second. BJ, he got a chance to like give his translation of the Bible. So I want to flip that verse, okay? So let's read it this way. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, then like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. Our identity in Christ, as Christ followers, requires us to have an increasing appetite for God. I want to assure you, the same feelings that you thought about, that you had when you first met Jesus, when you gave your life to him, those feelings are still available to you today. They are still accessible to you. The question is, what are you doing to increase your appetite? As adults, it's easy to stop being curious. Um, kids are always asking why. I am so glad I'm out of that stage. There's a why for everything. But last week, last week, yeah, I attended a course, um, a leadership course on curiosity. And during that course, I felt a little like, why is the teacher like singling me out? You know, like, have you ever been there? And you're like, like, what does she know about me? So I'm like, okay, I started getting uncomfortable because Noah and Isaiah, they are always telling us about stuff that they learned and facts that they learned. And sometimes these facts are from social media. So me being Trisha, I am very much like, please tell me an academic source before you tell me any facts. I want to make sure that it's not TikTok that has taught you this. I want to know that it's Britannica, right? Tell me what your academic source is. And so during this course, I felt so bad. I am like, oh my gosh, I am a curiosity killer. I have stomped my kids' curiosity. I can't believe I'm doing this. So as soon as the course was done, I texted this in our family chat. 
Uh, so I was so excited. I'm like, okay, so now we are going to intentionally encourage your curiosity. If you learn something, let me know. I'm still going to ask for academic source, but I want us to continue to share the things that we've learned. So that's it. Notice Isaiah didn't respond. <laughs> he doesn't typically respond in our family chats. But anyway, so that's it. <laughs> Okay, Psalm chapter 119, verse 9 to 11 says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Just as God pursued us, we need to keep pursuing him. Just as he he, he wants to know more about you, so we have to intentionally create the time, create the moments to seek after him. Okay, I'm going to skip down to verse 9. Um, verse 4 to 8 are also golden, so, but I want to get to verse 9 just for the sake of time. So verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Right. This right here is the crux of our identity in Christ. This right here is everything we need to know to live a successful, energized life as a follower of Christ. There was a time when our kids were younger that Rob and I had daily pep talks with them. We would tell them who they were, that they were loved, what God said of them. And it was important to us because when our kids go out of our homes, they are bombarded with so much other content. It is important that they know who they are in Christ. So when they hear all those other things, that what you've said to them, what you've spoken into them, what God thinks of them, continues to be the loudest voice in their mind. So I think that this bit, verse 9, it's Paul's, Peter's version of that pep talk. I think he's like telling them, guys, this is who you are. And he's telling them this so that they can remember it and they could step into it. Now, all of these verses weave back to the Old Testament. So when earlier when I said that it's a love story from the Old Testament to New Testament, these, these, this verse has strong ties to the Old Testament. Peter was writing to a predominantly non-Jewish audience, and so he's telling them that the same access, the same rights that Jews had in Christ, they now had access to. So he's drawing from the Old Testament to prove to them that they have access to this. So Peter tells them that they're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own, meaning God's own possession. Now, this is the, the, all of these descriptors have everything to do with Christ and nothing to do with us. Christianity is grace-oriented. So all of these things are as a result of what God did for us and nothing about what we have done on our own. So these, so let's spend some time on this, a chosen generation. So I went back to the Greek to look at what this word means, and it means exactly the same as it does in English, right? Select by implication, favorite, chosen, or elect. 
I was a huge Jackie Chan fan once upon a time. And in one of my like workplaces, they sponsored an event where Jackie Chan was gonna be there. And because they knew how much I loved him, they chose me to represent the company. And it was, I was so excited. I wasn't the only person there, but I was a special representative of the company. That gave me unhindered access to Jackie Chan. We had dinner, we took photos, and I can't find any of them. I really looked for them to like prove to you guys that I met Jackie Chan, but I couldn't find any of them. But the Jewish people were the original chosen people. And in the Old Testament, we read over and over again that they were God's elect. God said through his prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 44.1, Yet hear now, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel whom I have chosen. Now that we all have access to the Father through Jesus, we, by his grace, are also chosen. You are chosen. I am chosen. We are chosen. God tells us that he chose us from the start. Ephesians 1.4 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be, his, to be holy and blameless in his sight. So quite literally, this verse is saying, Before the sun and the moon and the stars were formed. Before God said, Let there be light and there was light. Before all of that, he chose us. I don't know about you, but I can't even think about what would have happened before then. But all that matters to me is that from a very, 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 very long time ago, that I was chosen by God. Deuteronomy 7, 6 to 9 gives a little insight into why we are chosen. It says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples of the face of the earth to be his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you or choose you because you were more numerous than other people, for you were the fewest. But it is because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he bought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery. He chose us because he loved us. Because he's a faithful God He's a God who keeps his covenants through a thousand generations. Next is a royal priesthood. Again, back in the Old Testament, priests were mediators between Israelites and God. They offered gifts and sacrifices to him, and they had an important job of being the middleman between the Israelites and God. So, Revelations 1, verse 5 the second half of verse 5 says, To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve God the Father. There are three things about Old Testament, Old Testament priests. One, they had access to God. Two, they were a bridge to God. And three, they offered offerings to God. So our identity in Christ makes us our own priests before God. So that means we have direct access to him, we can lead others to him, and we are required to bring offerings to him. Holy nation, we are a holy nation. Exodus chapter 19 verse 6, we read of God's plans for the Israelites. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
God wanted Israel to be the model nation. He wanted them to be the golden standard for other people to follow and say, this is the people, this is the people group that you have to look like, you have to act like. Now, because of God's grace, we have that same identity. But here's the great part. Have you ever heard of a one-person nation? I've never heard of a one-person nation. A nation is a nation. A nation is described as a large body of people united by common descent, history, culture, or language inhabiting a particular country or territory. So part of our identity is that we are part of a wider, larger body of believers. And the best part is that the home of that nation is not here. We are just passing through. Hebrews 13 verse 14 says, For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me break it down for you. Um, in our world, there are some people who are born in the country. There are immigrants to the country. And then there's like this group of people. They're typically known as like expats who come to that country for a short period of time, but then they go back home. We are expats. We are here on a mission this is not our home. We are passing through. We are going home. We are a set-apart, holy people who are just a small part of the bigger picture. It's not just here, us here at Aurora Cornerstone. It's us here with other churches from Alberta and other churches from Asia, from Africa, from the Caribbean. We are part of a larger body of people. Doesn't that make you feel special to be part of something that's bigger than you? And that's why the languages, values, customs, and expectations of this world should feel foreign to us. We have been born again for another world, for a greater kind of existence. So let's not get comfortable here. Let's pack light so that when it's time to go, we don't have much to take care of. Right? This world is not our home. Finally, we are God's special possession. Some of you probably still have that special room in your home that's only used for when guests come by or the special dishware that only comes out when there are guests. You know, when I was growing up, my, family, my parents had all of that. We had special clothes that we would only wear to church. Like, it was a whole thing. We are special because we belong to God. We are not run-of-the-mill. We are not average. We are special because we belong to him. Exodus 19 verse 5 says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. The value that God places on each one of us is directly reflected to the great cost that he paid with Jesus' death on the cross. And finally, we are called to proclaim his excellencies. We are God's mouthpieces here on the earth. We are his ambassadors. We represent him and we are expected to tell the world about him who brought us out of darkness into marvelous light. What we have is meant to be shared. 
You know, there are sometimes you get in the other like, this is just for you. This is only for you. This is not one of those things. What we have has to be shared. Our identity in Christ isn't exclusive to us. It isn't for a select group. It is available to all. And the only way all can know is, every, is if every one of us takes up that mission to start telling others about the God that we serve. God made us who we are so we could make known who he is. I'm going to say that again. God made us who we are so we can make known who he is. The idea of us being, when we say yes to God, we choose to follow him. By grace, we are given a new identity. And that new identity comes with certain requirements. We have to get rid of things. We have to pursue God. The idea of us being a chosen people should have a profound and lasting impact on us because it means we have a special significance to our Father. Being God's chosen people comes with greater spiritual responsibilities and higher standards, but also the call to invite others to the revelation that we have received as Christ followers and that is also available to them. Pascal, do you want to come? In a few minutes, we're going to share in a time of communion, a time of remembering the price that God paid, that, that God paid through his son Jesus on the cross. Our identity as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own possession is only possible because of Jesus' death. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.